we, uh, we are in a, in a series right now on mission, but I wanted to highlight a couple things real quick before we dive in. One is, uh, in two weeks, we're going to start through the book of James, which I'm super excited about. If you don't know James, James is uh, one of the most practical books of wisdom and uh, Christian living in the, in the entire Bible. Uh, we're going to have our journals for you, just like we did with Ephesians, so uh, get ready. I, I loved seeing you all bring those, or many of you bring those on Sundays and taking notes, so we'll have those for you. Uh, we're also going to bring back the weekly scripture reader, so a person from like a community group will be reading the passage, and, one, and some of those will be foreign language readers. Uh, so I just share that because some of y'all are going to get asked, um, so get ready, um, and, and it's honestly much lower of a threshold to do that than to do all the welcome and announcements and all of that, so if you're like, I could never do the welcome and announcement, but I can read, uh, congratulations, you might qualify to, uh, to do that. Uh, also, before we uh, dive in, uh, this week, if, if you're paying attention at all, uh, the news of a Supreme Court decision uh, leaked on the national media, through the national media, and uh, it was a, it's, a, it's a landmark decision. If it, if it does follow through with what it looks like, um, it's going to come down this summer, and it's going to overturn Roe v. Wade, which has been in, in place since I was born. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I have to say, I want to just say this, as a pastor that's grieved me most this week is to see uh, Christians on uh, social media simply parroting the, the talking points of one side or the other. Um, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, it is, it is, it's sad for me to see Christians who reduce the, the, uh, the Christian life ethic to pro-choice or pro-life, the mother or the baby, Republican or Democrat, Right? And the truth is, our, the, the Christian uh, ethic of life is so robust, so much more robust than any this world has, that it cannot be contained by the simple talking points of one side or the other. And so I would challenge you, if you find your, your heart naturally gravitating towards the mother, your ethic needs to be stretched a little more. If your heart is only for the child, your ethic needs to be stretched. Um, in a couple weeks, on a Friday night, I'm going to be doing a teaching for Renewal uh, Church here in Boston, um, down at Tremont Temple, and uh, sponsored by Renewal Church and um, the Send Relief Network. And I'm going to be focusing on abortion and the sanctity of life. And uh, regardless, if you find yourself on either side, I'll probably say enough to offend you. Um, so I encourage you to come. Uh, as I'm going to, we're going to wrestle through this biblically to see the, the robust ethic of life that scripture teaches and how we as Christians should be walking in that in this world. Um, all right, so uh, we are in a series on mission today, though. So let's talk about that. A few weeks ago, we started the series. We looked at the first week, if you weren't here, is like the, the, probably the highest level sermon I'll, I'll ever do. Uh, we, we looked at, at uh, throughout scripture, we looked at the idea of mission, beginning in the book of Genesis with Abraham, uh, seeing how God promised that he had, he had a mission to redeem a people for himself from every tribe and tongue and nation on earth. We saw how Jesus came as the fulfillment of that promise. Um, and that Jesus himself gives us the mission to go and make disciples of all the nations. And then we dove into the book of Revelation. I literally preached Genesis to Revelation in one sermon. 
sermon, when we saw the book of Revelation, the completed mission, uh, where all, as, as we read just a few moments ago in Revelation 7, that all the people from tri- different tribes and tongues and nations on earth will be standing before Jesus together. It's a beautiful picture. It's an inspiring picture. And in the meantime, we stand between the mission of, that Christ gave us and the completed mission. And so we're called to leverage our lives now to know Christ and to make him known in this world to others. And that was the first week. Last week, we looked at how this practically looked in one city, one town, the town of Thessalonica in Greece, which you can go visit today, uh, where the gospel came there uh, through Paul and Silas and Timothy and took root, um, and how their witness wasn't just some words that they came and delivered, but they delivered their lives. They embodied the gospel as they declared the gospel. And that's so important for you and I. In this world today, people don't uh, want to just hear a message uh, our lives are meant to reflect the message that we declare to those around us. Today is going to be a bit more of a, a laser focus. I wanted to bring it down from the fifty, you know, forty thousand foot view down to the, you know, what it happens in a city to what happens. Uh, what is the motive behind this mission? Um, and and seeing it actually, uh, what it looks like practically uh, in one situation or one individual throughout the life and ministry of Jesus. We see one clear uh, picture about our, our God and Father in heaven, that he is a God who loves his wayward children. He loves those who are far from him. And yes, there's a corporate sense, and I think as, as Christians in America, we tend to miss out on the corporate sense of the New Testament. We tend to individualize everything. But there's one thing that I, there's it's an important dimension that we don't want to miss while we focus on the corporate community dimension is that God is for us individually. That he has a heart for those who are lost, those who are far away, those who are hurting, those who have run away from him. And so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15, the, the most famous story that Jesus told, maybe aside from uh, or equal with the Good Samaritan. We're looking at the story that's commonly referred to as the prodigal son. Uh, even today in the, the news, you might refer to, oh, he's, the, he's a prodigal coming back to whatever. It gets thrown around in our culture, even though uh, not everyone knows the background of the story. But what we see in this passage, and I want us to, to, to hone in on tonight, or today, uh, hopefully not through tonight, um, just, just here for a little while, uh, <laughs> is to see today is that the heart of God is the motive of our mission, The heart of God is the motive of our mission. The heart of our father, a father who loves his children, rebellious, evil children who turn their backs on the father. He still loves because that's who he is. So I'm going to read Luke 15, 11 through 13. And I I encourage you to listen along and uh, follow along. And when I'm done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. And he said, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is uh, coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and bring a ring, uh, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for my son was this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, uh, You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A couple of uh, contextual clues to to understand this passage well. Uh, One is the context and then the other is sort of uh, the the cultural context, which is different than ours. So the context uh, of this passage is Luke 15 is a a series of parables that Jesus tells. And he begins Luke 15 with with these two verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So then Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep. One man, uh, a shepherd had a hundred sheep and 99 of them were in the fold and safe and one of them was lost and he left the 99 and went and got the one and when he brought him back, he rejoiced over that. And, uh, and then the next parable is the lost coin. The woman who lost had 10 coins and lost one of them in her home and and realized that uh, it was gone. So she turned the house upside down until she could find it and then threw a party when she did and celebrated uh, because she found that one coin. There's this picture that Jesus is painting. It's interesting, the, the parables are 100 sheep, one lost, right? Uh, one out of 10. And this last parable of sons is one out of two. Jesus is bringing it down. He's making it more personal, more accessible for you and I, but he's reinforcing the heart of God in each of these stories. And the other important factor here is to understand that this is an uh, an honor-shame culture. This is not like American culture. Um, This is an honor-shame culture. Many of you who are are born and raised in Asian families or Asian cultures, you you understand this. It's, It's shameful to dishonor an elder. It's shameful to dishonor your parents, uh, especially your father, right? Like there's something there. You have reached the pinnacle of disrespect and dishonor if you disrespect your father. And this is what's happening in this passage. Yet we see the heart of the father is the motive of our mission. 
So we're going to move through movements in this story and see how the father's compassion, his incomprehensible compassion and grace emerge over and over again. The first uh, movement we want to see is the, the, what I just call rejecting the father. This is verses 11 through 14. And this is the, uh, the, the introduction, just these four verses by themselves would have, there would have been gasps in the crowd as Jesus said this parable. It would have been like, oh, you know, because they would have read this idea of a son asking for his father's, uh, for his inheritance from his father while his father is alive. I mean, imagine doing that today and then multiply that times 100 because whatever awkwardness, weirdness, like shamefulness you might feel today, you had an entire culture of people who knew each other, walked with each other, knew each other generationally, and now one of the kids is like, I wish you were dead, but you're not dead, so can you give me half, can you give me my part of the inheritance now? Utterly shameful. The Pharisees would have expected uh, the very next statement to say, and the father beat his son, kicked him out of his house, and had a mock funeral for him as if he was dead to him, because that's what would have happened in that culture if this happened. Just like you can imagine that happening in some of your cultures. <laughs> You're like, if I asked my dad for my inheritance, I might as well be dead, right? <laughs> because it would have been so bad. He would have, and that's exactly how a Jewish father would have responded in that culture. But that's not what we see here. But before we get to this, though, just realize that, that this boils down to the, the, the um, son wanting the father's goods, but not the father. He wanted the blessings that the father had to give him, but did not want the father. This is the root of our sin. This is the root of how we choose to relate to God. That Even the breath in our lungs right now, uh, scripture would say, is a gift from God. The food we ate this morning, the coffee we drank, the soft bed we slept in, the comfortable room we live, we live in, the clothes on our back, the shoes on our feet are all a common grace gift to every person who has them right now. And the fact that we say, I'm glad to receive this, glad to have this, but I don't have time for you, God. I don't have time for you as father. The son's desire here was a disordered desire. It, it, it was missing the point. You don't read this passage. No one reads this story and say, well, of course he didn't want to be with his dad. Right? Anyone who can look at this story fairly says, what an amazing father. What an incredible father. Why wouldn't this son want to just enjoy thriving and living life in relation to his father? But it's because of disordered desires in the son's heart that he did not appreciate or know his father. And this is what sin is for us. There's a God who rules and reigns, who made all of us. And sin disorders our desires. So we don't want the God, the good God, the compassionate God, the one we sang about a few moments ago that will sing of the goodness of God, right? We don't want that. We don't want to know him. We don't want to walk with him. We want to do our own thing. And we're missing life itself. The sign, this would have been a really difficult like, thing to witness because it wasn't like the father's wealth was, was in the bank, and he could just go and, okay, I'm going to get a cashier's check for my son. In that culture, wealth was tied up in land, property, lives, livestock. So what would have happened for this father is to literally watch his wealth liquidated 
So the son could take money and go travel to a foreign land. He would have watched his field sold off. He would have watched his animals sold off. And he never said anything. He gave it to his son. And he left. It was interesting. The son could control his leaving. And and what he felt like was freedom, right? Freedom. Imagine you got your pocket full of cash. You're going to a foreign land. You are throwing wild parties. People love you. Uh, No doubt it felt like freedom. The, The first big party, the first woman he was with, the first time he slept in an opulent room that he paid for, right? Like, no doubt he felt free. But does anyone look in from this standpoint and go, that was freedom? It felt like freedom, but was it freedom? It wasn't. Because he could control his leaving, but he could not control all the circumstances of his life, nor the famine that struck that land. And when it did, his wealth ran out quickly. So we saw him, we see the son, he was um, rejecting the father. The second point of movement is renegotiating with the father. So the, the son like lost all his money. So what did he do? He had to get a job. So he started working for a local man who sent him out into the fields. These, these were not fields that you could raise crops on. They were basically like rocky, uh, not hospitable fields. There was little to no foliage out there. And uh, because if there was, the pigs would, could eat it. But they, the, the uh, owner sent him out there with these pods, which were like the barely edible, I mean, pigs will eat anything. They're like goats. They'll eat just about anything. But they're like, people wouldn't eat them because they were so gross and uh, barely had any nutritional value. But he was feeding them to these pigs. And while he was doing that, he was dreaming of eating these pods. Like, imagine how hungry you are to be thinking, man, this food, pig food looks amazing, right? Like, that's what happens, though, when you're, when you're hungry. And imagine, and you understand this, that, that uh, been in Brookline, there's a very strong Jewish community here. You understand uh, the, the kosher rules, right? That, that um, pork was unclean and being around pigs was unclean. So imagine a Jewish boy who had been sent into a foreign land was now out in the field with the unclean pigs feeding them. This was the lowest that he could sink to as a, as a Jewish boy to be so far from his home. But it's a picture here for us of how sin enslaves us. And it's interesting, this this young man is left homeless, helpless, and hopeless. There's a quote on the screen here for you that uh, I don't remember who said it. It's been around for a long time. But sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you are willing to pay. Sin is disordered desires in our heart taking root, right? And, and acting on those disordered desires. And the thing about it is it feels good in the moments. What we want, uh, we think we want, really want, but it's not. And then the, the payment is deferred. You guys know about deferred payments? It's that 0% for one year, right? No payments for one year on blankety blank. And then you're paying 27% interest, you know, a balloon payment at, at 13 months, right? And then all the interest is, is uh, also retroactive if you don't pay it off. So you understand that. Like, that's how sin works. It's a deferred payment. And this payment had come due for this man. Now, what was his initial response after realizing where he was and where his father was? I want you to understand, he realized he owed his dad something. You see, sin creates a debt. 
And anyone who understands sin in their own life realizes it creates a debt between us and God. And, and, and there is no sense of like, well, God can just forget that, right? He's just a benevolent grandfather in the sky. He'll just wink at all the things that I've done and let me go. No, there's a sense of guilt in us that we feel like he shouldn't do that. But what's the alternative? We'll make it up to him, right? I'm going to read my Bible every day, every day. I'm going to get up an hour earlier so I can pray, right? I'm going to give more money. I'm going to be, go to community group every week. Whatever it is, we decide that we're going to pay God back for our sin by doing things. And that's exactly what the son says. Son says, God, I, you know, I don't deserve father to come back into your house, but I, I'll go back to him and I'll tell him, listen, dad, put me to work, put me to work and I will pay you back. But that's the gospel. The gospel meets us there that, that our debt actually has been paid. And this is why and the third movement here is receiving grace, receiving the Father's grace. I love this. This is one of my favorite scenes in all of Scripture. The, the grace of God, the Father, is, compa- is, is free, it's passionate, it's complete, it's total. Verse 20, and he rose and came to his father, but when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, pause on that for just a moment. Why would the father notice his son far off? And that's not like 50 feet away. Like far off is like far. But imagine what was he doing? I think the father was going about his life, but I think he was constantly looking to the horizon. He was constantly looking. And when he saw his son's walk, and as a parent, you know your child's walk, especially by the time they get to an adult, you know what their walking looks like. And he recognized his son off in the distance and realized today was the day. And he didn't sit back. He didn't wait, right? What did he do? It says he ran to him. Now, I don't even know if there's a cultural equivalent because I don't know enough cultures to think about it this way, but old men simply did not run in that culture for several reasons, but one of them being that they had robes and to run, you had to take the robe and you had to tuck it up into your belt, which left your legs exposed, which was shameful for, a, for an old, older man. It was like, a, like, a, mo, like a, a, a Mediterranean mob boss, if you think without all the sin. But like, the, like you see him running in public, you're thinking, like without the sin, you're thinking, why in the world is this, you know, Godfather running in public. There's no reason for this. It makes no sense. Something's wrong, right? And that's exactly what this dad said. He was so overwhelmed with compassion for his son. Listen, he knew his son was coming home, but he wasn't going to wait. What a picture of compassion and love. And he, he cast aside his own honor and said, I have to go meet him. I don't want him to wait a second longer to know that I love him that I have compassion on him, that I don't hate him. What a beautiful picture in that moment of our our father's heart. And he runs to him. (laughs) 
This is, this, again, this is so great. You guys, all right, I've got to spiel. I've been memorizing the spiel, right? You, if you've ever, I had spiels for my parents at times, but it wasn't, and it was always because of sin for some reason. But uh, <laughs> you have your spiel. I'm going to tell this to my parents, and I'm going to make it up to them, and I'm going to try to smooth things over this way. And he starts in, you know, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be your son. The Father does not even acknowledge it. He doesn't go, that's a good point, son, but this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> he doesn't even blink. He's, it says, look at verse 22, but the father, the father doesn't even talk to his son at this point. He doesn't say, yeah, thank you for sharing that. He embraced him. He'd hugged him, but he, said, he turns to his servant who ran with him, no doubt, because when your boss runs and he doesn't run, you run with him because something's wrong, right? So his servants were with him and he yells out, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ringer on his hand and shoes on his feet and let's go have a party, right? This is like an epic party. Like Kobe beef party, like not like the cheap, you know, uh, thin steaks, like the like $150 a pound steak, right? Like he's throwing the party of parties for his son. Does not even acknowledge what his son had said. Tim Keller referring to this passage, he says, you are more sinful than you ever dared imagine. And you are more loved and accepted than you could ever dare hope at the same time. This is the, the, the compassion of our Father. This is the beauty of the gospel that meets us covered with pig dung, right? No doubt his son did not smell well. Evidently didn't have shoes on his feet either. Like he was pretty gross, but the Father hugged him and immediately threw a party. This is a picture of the heart of the Father. And this is our motive for our mission if God was that compassionate for me and was that compassionate for you, how much compassion does he have for your friends, for your family that are far from him, that are hurting right now, that are alone, that are afraid? God has a heart for the rebellious son. He has a heart for the woman at your work who's cheating on her husband. He has a heart for your, your roommate who goes out and gets drunk every weekend. He has a heart for that friend who goes from relationship to relationship to relationship hooking up. God has a heart for them. We write them off. We do. Not that God doesn't love them, but God's probably not going to reach them. But you never know when the heart of the Father is involved. He can reach to the uttermost. That's a great story up to this point and would love for it to wrap up right there, but there's a purpose that, that Jesus is, is sharing in this story that's so important. And, and, and it turns to the older son now. So he turns from re receiving the grace, uh, the father's grace, he turns to resenting the father's grace, the son, the, the older son. It's interesting it's actually almost the same amount of text dedicated to the older son as the younger son. The story is called the prodigal son, right? Not the prodigal son and the older son. Actually, if you want to pick up a book that tells this story, and it's not a heavy read at all, but it's like a fantastic telling of this story to like just help you to experience it on a deeper level, uh, Tim Keller wrote a book called Prodigal God. Because the story is really about the father, isn't it? It isn't about the son. Younger son or older son. But there is a lesson for the older son here. In verses 25 through 30, why did the, 
Why did the older son resent the father's grace to his younger brother, right? Like, this is what happened, right? He's, he, he, he heard about the partying, and he came in, and he asked the servant what's happening. And he's like, oh, your dad's throwing this epic, like, once-in-a-decade party for your, for your younger brother. You know, the one who uh, took half of the family's wealth and left town and squandered it. That guy. I mean, part of you, is it, can anybody relate to the older son? I'm raising my hand right now, because I'd be like, he needs to go work in the barn for a while right? I, I am. I'm that way. I would totally feel that. And, and those of you that are oldest children, you feel that. <laughs> That's that youngest kid. He's always in trouble and always goofing off. And, and I have to, I'm the one that keeps things together, right? <laughs> But that's what the, and that's how the older son related to his father. He felt like he had been doing his family duty and that he had earned his father's approval. Look at verse 28, a crazy statement. He goes, I have served you and never disobeyed your command, and you never gave me a goat. <laughs> never, never gave you a goat? <laughs> like, what? I mean, you can see the foolishness. Jesus is telling this story for a reason this way, okay? The oldest son based his relationship with his father on his own obedience, not on his father's love. He based his, his relationship and his status in the household by how good he followed the rules and did what was right so that his father approved him. And he never understood that his father always approved him because he was his son. Some of us are the older brother. And, and, and the message is for us as well that, that uh, we need to recognize that we don't have the things to re- re- uh, repent of like the, like the youngest brother, right? We didn't go to a foreign land. We didn't squander it all and, you know, reckless living or whatever, but we have pride. Augustine, the ancient bishop, said, pride is the mother pregnant with all sins. The danger of pride is that we can see all of everyone else's rebellion and sin out there, but all we can see is our own achievements, our own goodness, our own rule following. So let's see how the the father responds to this in the final movement here of remembering the father's grace. Verse 31 through 32. So, So you have to understand, there was a party happening, an epic party. Neighbors would have been invited. The whole town would have been invited. Everyone would have been there. The father, this was his party. He had the, it wasn't the son's party. It was the father throwing this party. He was the host, right? And the host at his table would have had a seat at his right hand for who? The oldest son, the most honored of his sons. And guess what, that, what was happening in that seat? Nothing, right? It was empty. Which means the father was being dishonored by his oldest son during this party because he refused to go in. He refused to go in. Now, again, a Jewish father would have walked out there and would have looked at him and his son would have said, well, I don't know. He just said, I don't care what your issue is. You get in there and you sit at that seat. We'll talk about this when this is over, right? Like some of you had dads like that. Um, <laughs> Right? When you make the family look bad, that's like, whoo, no talking then, right? Talk later, right then. You do whatever dad says. And that's exactly what he should have done. The dad should have done because he was being dishonored by his oldest son 
which was shameful. But instead, what does he do? Verse 31, and he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You know what he said in compassion? He's, 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 he's reaching out to his oldest son, as angry as his oldest son is, as self-righteous as his oldest son is. He's reaching out to him and saying, you've always had me. Everything I have is yours. Forget a stupid goat. Everything I have is yours. You've been in my house. You're my beloved oldest son. Come on in. Come on back to the party. Celebrate. And it's so interesting. Jesus never finishes this parable, right? He tells, we know what happens to the youngest son, but we don't know what happens to the oldest son. And Jesus left this open because he was talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders who were the Jews who had always been in God's house, right? But who were self-righteous and didn't like the idea of those sinners and those people outside, those broken people. We don't want them in here. They don't deserve to be in here. They feel like they earn their spot instead of understanding what they have as a gift of the Father as well. The heart of the Father is the motive for our mission. And, the heart, and, and God's heart is for you today, wherever you are. Maybe you've never experienced that grace at all. Maybe you've never experienced what it's like to come home to the Father. And the invitation, I love this. He is for you today, not just for generically all of us. He is for you specifically. He knows your story. He knows that thing that you think that he won't forgive you of, that he, that's just a little too much and you just kind of need to get this thing straightened out before you can actually come to him. He knows it. He sees it. And you know what he's going to do when he sees you? He's going to throw his arms around you and hug you. And you know, the beauty of this passage is uh, Jesus tells us in Luke 15, 7, and then uh, in the second parable as well, he says, so I tell you, there are more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. One person who says, I'm going to arise and go home. And all of heaven rejoices. The father rejoices. And the beauty of this promise, the beauty of this passage is that it's not just, it's, it's for those who want to receive that the first time. They've been wandering in a foreign land away from God and they want to come home. But I don't believe the father withholds this joy for, for any of his children. Because I don't know about you, if I've been following Jesus for 30 years. I still need to be reminded of the father's heart for me. Sometimes I just feel like I'm, I'm just don't have it together. Like I'm just like not doing it right. Like I'm struggling with it or sin captures me. And I feel like I shouldn't be doing this. I'm third. I've been a Christian for 30 years. Come on. Why is that happening? Right? And it's a reminder. This passage is saying the father is not like, yeah, you know what? You get in the family by grace, but then you've got to keep yourself because I certainly don't love you for just you. I only love you because you perform for me. And that's what some Christians feel like, that God only loves you today. God only has compassion for you today because you managed to keep things together and maybe you know you don't right now. So the invitation is for everyone today. Arise, come to the Father. His compassion is for you. His heart is for you. We're gonna move into our time of response and communion is 
a reminder of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and the reason that I can unequivocally say that God's heart is for you today is not because I feel like God's heart is for you. And even if you're not sure today, God's, how can I know that God's heart is for me? The cross. That's why. Jesus didn't want us relying on feelings, didn't want to rely, us to rely on how, how things were going in the moment. He wanted us to rely on an objective, historical reality that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, bled and died on the cross for your sin and for mine. And that his arms are open to welcome us home again and again and again. So as you take communion, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know where you stand with him, you're, you're all in because Jesus is all in for you. Then take communion, remembering the Father's heart, celebrating his compassion for you today. And then I would let that just stir a little bit of hope for you for that person who's far from God in your life and know that his heart is for them. If you're not sure where you stand with Jesus today and you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, I'll be at the connection table, but you can uh, also put on your connection card right on the back of that and drop that in the offering basket later. We'll follow up with you uh, to help you in that journey. That's literally the greatest joy we have uh, as, as pastors, as leaders in this church is to help people uh, know and follow Jesus. Let's all stand. I'm going to pray together, pray, and then if you are a follower of Jesus, you can take communion. Anytime out, uh, during this next song, just slip out, make your way out this side door over here. Um, take communion out at one of the stations. We can't have food or drink in here if you're new. Uh, so we have to take it out in the hallway and then make your way back in uh, after you've done so. Let's pray together. What a joy, God, to, to read this story again that you inspired your son to speak and to be written down and recorded for us. And though it's a different culture and a different time, the message is the same to us today. There is a father whose heart is for his wayward children, not based on their performance, not based on what we, they can do for him, but because of your great love. I pray we'd look to that today. We would lay down our sin. We would turn away, repent, and receive the embrace that you so long to give. In your name we pray.